Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like Adele. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast episode number 238, and I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, Demteric. Host number three, Dr. Corey Petty. Another holiday episode coming at you. That holiday episode is code for we don't have any guests. And we didn't spend a lot of time looking for guests. Like I I personally have been like not doing a lot. I'm I'm taking a break in a lot of ways uh, for my like my normal routine of working so much yeah man we worked our asses off this year and it feels good to just relax i didn't drink any eggnog but i did drink some drink if you know what i'm saying isn't eggnog i'm not drink? i'm not taking any time off but i'm forced mm-hmm. to because nobody's hiring yeah for, <laughs> was saying that before we before we started the episode like it's hard for a freelancer during the holiday season because no one's working no one's no one's trying to engage new new business they're just like chilling which is good yeah, you gotta chill sometimes you gotta like spend time with your family you gotta do stuff you gotta reset otherwise you get yeah. burnt out i i applied for a job uh, a couple of days ago and the guy was like oh you know i really like your resume here's my uh my my calendar i guess that's the app where you can yeah. pick a time and he goes let's pick a time to talk and i i picked like december 27th and he goes no 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 after january the third i was like well, fuck now i gotta wait a week and turn a half that to off, talk turn that calendar off man yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm not making any money right now i want to talk tomorrow what's up so cello can you sing it's hard out here for a pimp in the voice of it's hard out here for a freelancer man Raj p henderson i don't <laughs> i don't know who that is no she's the girl that sings it in that movie yeah no, was that a no? Um, nah. Come on, I'm, man. I'm good on that. Just however, like, however, I will tell you how hard it is uh, to get your money back from Coinbase. Yeah, let's do this. Let's let's get yeah. into this. Yeah. So all those. So I did get hacked, and I wanted to wait until everything was secure before I could broadcast that. And um, Corey did make a point where he's like, "Well, you shouldn't have got hacked in the first place." Well, you know. I got kids and shit. So while you're securing your wallets, I'm raising kids and all that. So some stuff got uh, some leaked and some vulnerabilities wait, got exposed. Wait, wait, pause. Wait. You, we're not going to let you get away with that. We told you we were going to push back. You, can't, you so, can't just use that as a I'm monitor. saying I'm human. All right. Uh, That's yeah, all I'm saying. Your, your passwords vulnerabilities happen. Your passwords are bad. Vulnerabilities got exposed. That's all I'm gonna say. My password was actually really good. It was good. It was random. I had some exclamation marks, some asterisks, some lowercase. It was all right. It wasn't like LastPass good, but it was. Let's it say was good. we'll say this: your 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 like security practices, personal security practices, have been amplified quite a bit since since this hack, and yeah. you were able to get everything back. Yeah, I will say that I think the layman that has terrible. Or the, the general GPPs have terrible security practices, and that was me. You know, I, I'll say this right now: uh, the password to like our mothership was very, very basic for a number of years. <laughs> we joked about it for the longest time, and like we should probably change that at some point. It was so bad. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was. It was. It wasn't a joke coming from me, you dingleberries. Yeah. I was like, guys, we need to change this password. You, know you could change it, right? You, 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 could, you could. You could bitch yeah. about being serious but you didn't ever change it so if you wanted to own this entire operation you could have very easily <laughs> let's just put it that way okay so um so i got i got a lesson than that so all, all my stuff is secure and offline uh so we got i got targeted and it was on coinbase i, I had some money in there that was liquid uh so you know playing around money and um at the time it was before the winter happened so it was right before 
uh, my money got cut in half due to the markets. And I didn't have access to my money for six and a half weeks after 23 calls with support agents and uh, roughly 33 emails were exchanged. And that's how much heartache it takes to get your money back from an institution that handles your money. The support agents can only help you so far and they can't admit that they can't help you because they stick to a script and they stick to a script because they don't understand crypto and they don't understand the problems at hand. They have a sheet in front of them and they're saying, oh, you know, apologize profusely. Tell them that you understand their frustrations and then delegate their problems to a specialist and say that you can only help so much. So they act as like conduits of a, a larger operation. And the specialists are just people that send you templated emails. So you're going to hit a brick wall every time. And they're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt that it is your account. So okay, I had, I, as, a, as, as a, so if you're dealing with people's money, that should be the default. Like it's, you shouldn't just assume that the person talking to you is the person they're supposed to be because like on their end, they get, a lot of people trying to overtake accounts pretending to be people so they can take their money. So you kind of have to, like, in my opinion, you would, it's required to go above and beyond or without a shadow of a doubt to prove yeah. who you are in order for them to then change things on the back end. So I, I created another Coinbase account and I got that verified uh, through photo and verification process. So what I wanted them to do was was I froze my account and I wanted them to send the funds from one Coinbase account to the newly opened one. Um, and they still wouldn't do that based on the same reasons that you just said, Corey. And I told them, I was like, look, that same Coinbase account has the same bank account linked to it. It has the same ID uploaded to it. It has the same routing number. It has the same bank. So and it was getting nowhere. So finally... Um, I, I escalated and escalated and escalated and escalated and escalated. I probably spent about nine hours total dealing with that and going through roughly 15 different employees before it finally, he saw the severity of my, my issue. Like this is, this is, you know, thousands of dollars that this person has locked up and he can't access it. You know, whether it is, whether it's him or not, I have to give this person some customer support because it's, it's, this is a institution where people hold people's money and you know, you can't just assume that it's me or it's not me or listen to my testimony or look at my case number or look at the notes that the previous agent left. You know, it's best to just handle all of this while I'm on the phone with you in one fell swoop. And Coinbase is just light years behind on the customer support. They hire agents that don't understand how crypto works they hire people that don't understand how money works. They're just, it, it's just, it's not effective. Which is it's, crazy because you got to have a damn MBA just to work customer support for Coinbase. If you look <laughs> at their, if you look at their like requirements to work there. Um, but it, I will say this, I will say that stemming from this, there's some silver linings. One, you got, you got it back, right? You got your dough. Two, it's great that you mentioned off the cuff and not forced at all. Like this is an establishment that handles people's money. So yay, Bitcoin's money now. I don't know. That's the way I took that. <laughs> By the way, um, Ray Ray has, has joined us in the Slack for those that uh, are not in this channel. That is yeah, Ray, I'm, I'm telling my in. story about how I got hacked and you jumped halfway um, through it. Um, I love hearing the conversations about OPSEC. It's a welcome discussion. Yep. And so then, I, was go ahead. I was oh, going to say that if anything, what Coinbase should do, like you said, is offer maybe alternate ways for you to prove your identity than just the email, because I think that's what it all was contingent upon. Yes. And, you know, that was um, sabotage as well. So maybe Coinbase can learn some lessons if anybody's listening from Coinbase for this. Um, so, 2FA everything. Yeah. Two-factor authentication. Uh, get a UB Lockdown. Key. Lock down your Gmail account, two-factor authenticate that, remove email backup so it's only yeah. yours, have a strong password. But I want to say, key, though. Get one-time codes, print them out using a no-Wi-Fi printer, put them somewhere safe just in case you need to log in. 
But look, Corey, we can tell these tips until people's faces are blue. But the fact is, is sometimes a tsunami needs to hit your house before you get flood insurance. That's the way it's always going to be. You're right. You're yeah. right. But like, what else can we do? Maybe. I just want to say to the hacker who wanted to hack my money, all you did was bolster our security up. So fuck you. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so Marcella, the problem with what you're saying about the Coinbase rep being able to authenticate you is uh, in November, I, as an experiment, went to all four major carriers to see if I could sim hijack myself. Okay. Right. And of the four major North American carriers, I was able to sim hijack myself using only a photoshopped copy of an electric bill and a photoshopped copy of a, of a T-Mobile bill, okay, at two of them. And at one of them, I was able to social engineer SIM hijack my own account without showing any ID at all. So whenever you start talking about allowing people to go out of policy, just keep in mind that's the biggest vulnerability on the cellular side is that people can social engineer your identity away from them. I get that. I'm not saying they should go outside of policy. I, sh- I think they should just have a better policy, a, a more streamlined policy. <laughs> um, because I, when we had to get our, I agree with you because uh, in order to get my Bluehost credentials back, I had to send them a bill that verified my address. And it was, I, I didn't mail them a physical bill. I screenshotted it. I could have very easily Photoshopped <laughs> it. Let's, let's talk about very this. Easily. Let's talk about a problem with Bluehost that I've had in the process of getting this stuff back. So like I, I talked to customer support quite a few times. And whenever you start talking with customer support, they ask you to verify the last four digits of your password. Let's take a oh. second. Let's take a second and think about what that means. If they're asking me to verify the last four digits of my password, that means they're storing my password, which yeah. is like rule number one for like security on a back end. You don't store customer passwords. You store the hash of their password. So, mm. And if they're asking me to verify it, that means they're, they, like general customer support is basically able to open it up and look at my password. T-Mobile does that too. That by the is, way, on your pen. It's like one of the most ridiculous <laughs> things I've ever heard of. Uh, like storing passwords alone on on centralized infrastructure isn't that good. Hence, we have blockchain. And but like storing plain text passwords in centralized infrastructure is like rule number one. Don't do that. And then when I when I called them out, I was like, "There's no reason you should be asking for the last four digits of my password, which means you're storing my password." They told me they didn't store my password. And I was like, I don't think you know what you're talking about. You clearly <laughs> are. Like, there's there's no getting around that. Wait, what if they store a hash of the last four, and when you give them the last four, they type it in, and then they look up and see if it matches what they have? There's hash. things around it, but there's there's also much, much better ways of doing authentication. Oh, I, I agree. There's much, much better ways. I was just trying to say, like, maybe they don't store the whole password. I don't want to give away any part of my password. Okay. Well, long story short, we've learned some lessons all around. I am a nutcase about security, so I keep very, very long passwords and very, very complex passwords. But now I've upgraded to not keeping... Oh, my God, so many noises. What the hell is that? <laughs> I need to be back in my place. Um, so, Holidays. Um, what was I even saying? Yeah, so instead, of having having passwords. The, yeah instead of having the complex passwords stuck in my head, uh, I now use a password manager through LastPass. Uh, so now I only have to keep one super-duper long, complicated password in my head, and the rest of them just kind of fall, fall throughout. So... Um, We've learned some better security practices, which is good. And I wish crypto companies was just just hire people that get crypto. There's a lot of people here that are working their ass off to be knowledgeable in the space. And a lot of companies are just hiring capable people that have no crypto knowledge. And it, it, it hurts the space. And well, people are a limited amount off. of people who are capable of doing those jobs. Well, like we got a, we got a, we were previewing a listener call where he said, Hey, I'm, I'm learning about solidity. I'm doing this and this, and I don't know how to get a job in this space, but I have the skills. Help me out. You know, stuff right, like that. Well, I bet you here in a little bit. First, we have Dwayne Moore who called in. What's up, Dwayne? Tell us, uh, say hello. You're muted, Dwayne. Uh, he doesn't look like he's right muted. now. No, I, I see the little red button on there. He's oh. muted. He's talking to himself. He's going on right now. I love it. Well, hey, Dwayne. We'll let him figure that out. 
Yeah, we'll let him. Oh, he doesn't have a microphone. He just wants to listen. He just wants to listen. He's getting in on the episode before it is. Okay, he just wants to listen. Okay, cool. Hey, so Corey, I I, I, I actually did call in to talk about something that I wanted to talk to you guys about, and it actually dovetails very, very nicely into the discussion about Coinbase and Bluehost. Um, And that is this Electrum uh, data breach this week, which is fascinating because it used some novel and new means, right? We, We don't necessarily need to talk about every single crypto hack in the world. But this one had some new means. Uh, have you guys been talking at all about proof of keys, which is coming up on Thursday? The proof of keys uh, effort. Uh, uh, we from touched base? on it. We, we have not. I don't think I've. I think we mentioned it based on like what people are are saying they've done, or like how they're like kind of broadcasting it on Twitter. But we didn't. We didn't talk about what it actually is. So the proof of keys thing is kind of this mission. I think Stone Base kind of has been the loudest advocate of it, where everybody is supposed to basically withdraw your crypto from online exchanges or from multi-sig environments to prove that it's your crypto, right? Because if you have mm-hmm. a bunch of dust and a bunch of places, et cetera. And what happened with the Electrum hack, by the way, is that there's a special version of this wallet coming out called the Hodler's version that is done specifically for uh, this proof of keys thing. Okay. So it's a commemorative edition, so to speak. It's supposed to kind of help people with that. And some uh, hackers took advantage of that fact. And, uh, because they knew there was a new version coming out, this holders version, they poisoned a bunch of the servers for the wallet to send a message, like basically like an instant message that pops error message screen yeah. that says security alert. Okay. You need to update your version right now. And it had a GitHub link, uh, link which 99% out of the time, you, you usually kind of inherently trust GitHub because it's open source and it's free and people can audit it. But it was a fake GitHub link. And then sent Trojan's wallets uh, on both Electrum for the Bitcoin and on Electron Cash for the Bitcoin Cash. And they t- took off like bandits on this breach. It's very interesting. Yeah, quite a bit of that. Doesn't, that doesn't sound like a hack. It sounds more like an, an attack. Because that, I mean, if I get... A phishing email from Gmail. I'm not being hacked. Yeah. That, so that, the problem with that distinction, Sean Marshall, is that 96% of data breaches last year happened because of phishing. 96%. So mm. if we say that phishing attacks are not hacks, then we pretty much don't have that much to talk about. These guys poisoned a bunch <laughs> of servers, right? They poisoned a whole bunch of servers to send that message. And no matter how savvy you are, if you're the type of person that has multi-factor on your on almost everything you do, and you use biometrics on your air-gapped computer for in general. You still got a message that looked legitimate, okay, uh, until they recently made a change to it. And if you cut and pasted that GitHub link, you downloaded a Trojan that was not caught by your antivirus, by the way, okay? So, And then you actually fired up this wallet and gave them your private keys. It's a, it's a fascinating, innovative – I don't mean to sound excited by it or whatever, but it is kind of an interesting uh, a, a way of attacking and its novel approach. Well, that's like – that's part of the, I guess, interest – it gets mis- misconstrued, I think, by security, by other people. People in the security industry, like when they when they learn how these things are done and find like security of like trying to mitigate attacks and 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 prevent attacks on infrastructure and and figuring out how people do things is a back and forth game between the attacker and the and the people defending. So when pe- when the attackers come up with new novel ways of getting into infrastructure, manipulating people, it's 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 like Oh, clever. You know, you, you have to kind of tip your cap to the ability of these people to come up with new ways of getting around all of the attempts to prevent them from doing so. And so yeah. it, it comes across somewhat as excitement or like, or like, you know, but it's not that. It's just like, oh shit, you know, that's, it's, it's, we're learning how infrastructure works. They're exposing something that we didn't quite understand because we didn't prevent against it. Well, what's crazy about this one is the original first ever phishing attacks happened via a program called AOL. Okay, it allowed you to send messages to people on AOL pretending to be an administrator and ask for them for the password. This is back when AOL used to cost by the hour, uh, just to let you know how old I am. Uh, and that was the original thing. So in this particular environment, they're using that messaging system, okay, which people assume is legitimate, to pop up and say you need to update your software to this this link. So even though it is new, it's kind of not new, right? It's it's kind of just a rehash of old techniques. Mm. But and you, I know you said ahead, the, you said like the like ninety five percent or whatever ninety six came from civil attacks and phishing. Why don't we just get away with manual updates? Why can't these 
updates uh, just download automatically and then people won't get scammed or because now people are saying why don't you just ignore any update notifications that come from electrum well now legitimately electrum can't update their firmware or their software because people are afraid now yeah so that's a great point and the problem with that is is we've also seen supply side attacks where the origin of software was also poisoned right yeah, like the repository that sends the update <laughs> so that's the problem there now I have seen people on Twitter say that this attack couldn't be mitigated and couldn't be prevented. I completely disagree with that. Yeah, there are is. mechanisms by which you could have prevented this. One is you don't allow unauthenticated messages to hit the users, right? That's an easy one. You, you sign them or you put them on a signature. Another is, is you blockchain enable your software updates so that people or the program can automatically tell if this is a legitimate software update or not, right? That's the easiest one, you know, kind of in that in that space. Um, but the other one actually has to do with GitHub. I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious as to why this illegitimate malware-filled GitHub repository remained for almost 72 hours. Like, usually you would think that that would have gotten taken down pretty quick, right? How do you, how do you check for that automatically? I mean, the, the easiest way to mitigate this, just have, you know, a certain amount of, of of allowed error messages, at least for this particular one, and then if it, if an error message doesn't match your allowed whitelisted error messages, then you don't send it out. This is a this is a crafted custom error message that that was sent out, and if you just basically have a whitelist of error messages you can send out, and if it doesn't meet those, then nothing gets sent out. You've mitigated this attack. Mm. Yeah, I think we need more sphincter validation, like we talked about back yes, in episode. Yes, definitely sphincter validation, like the <laughs> butthole thing. But how, point sphincter validation. But how do you like? I want to ask Corey and Ray this. Like, this is another part of crypto that sucks, and we talked about it earlier, but many people don't talk about it. Even if you're shitcoin, your altcoin, Ethereum, anything that's in your Coinbase or whatever, it, it makes it, and you get a stack of cash, and there's a glitch in 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 some system or website that cost you your coin and then you get blamed for running a vulnerable system people don't look at the company they look at you like well you know you shouldn't have fell for a scam you know th there were red flags uh they asked for your 2fa their passphrase when they were starting the client and, and still you went ahead with it and they're always going to blame the end user yeah that's I mean, victim blaming well, there is an aspect of like as you decentralize things and you hold your own value. If you're if you are holding your own value with your own keys, you're responsible for the security associated with it. You you absorb the risk of holding those things, and you become like it's since it is your responsibility. If you screw that up, then it is your fault, and that's 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 an inherent part of owning your own things and being responsible for it. And that's that's gonna be Great. there's gonna be a lot of lessons learned as we move forward and this becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. But, but should it be a seventy money. Bitcoin lesson learned though? I mean people are losing large amounts at a time. That's well, a big if you're lesson. Putting that much money in and doing things ignorantly, then then it then yeah. Like how much if you have that much money and you're not spending a proportion of your time trying to secure it or make sure that it's safe, then then joke's on you. Like like there's I mean, don't get me wrong, there are certain things that happen that you it's really hard to see happen. And if you are the cause of this wild, wild west industry that's very naive and we're learning a lot about how like how vulnerable infrastructure is, then I'm sorry. But like it it's a big it's a back and forth. Like if it's So I'm gonna disagree with you there, Corey. I'm gonna right. disagree. And the reason why is because the paradigm for financial websites and records has always been, at least in North America, if you were hacked, you weren't responsible for what they did with your credit card or even your debit card up to 50 bucks, right? Anything over 50 bucks. So people became extremely conditioned to be relatively careless about things like your, where you leave your credit card slip or saying it over the phone at the airport when there's oh, people I, around I or that. whatever else, right? And now we're in a trustless environment. And in a trustless environment, by definition, you cannot trust someone with custody, right? <laughs> it sounds so, so simple, but custodial relationships, at least non-multi-sig custodial relationships mean that you are trusting Coinbase or you are trusting Binance and you are trusting them immensely because they only insure their hot wallet. And most of them don't even insure that, right? But if you read the terms of service for Coinbase, their only insurance is on their US dollars, which is FDIC insured up to a certain amount, right? And their, uh, their hot wallet, which is less than 2% 
of your assets, right? So in, in this case, if you're going to be responsible for the theft of it, right, then you damn sure want to keep it under your control because you're not going to get reimbursed if you if somebody social engineers their way into your Coinbase account, Marcelo. I'm I'm thrilled that you got it back. I, I, I thought it was gone forever. You had forever. almost given up a few times. But like, I, I, I would have gave up, but people told me not to give up, so I didn't. So thank you. Oh, people now. I do want to bring up something else, and that is there's a cultural thing in cryptocurrency because I actually work in the information security space, and we need to bring those two industries together. The cryptocurrency space and the infosec space have kind of been giving each other the stink eye for the last few years, and there's a lot of stuff that people in cryptocurrency can learn from infosec, and there's a lot of stuff that people in infosec can learn by following cryptocurrency too. So I think that there's an opportunity for some education and for building a bridge, especially in this down build period, so to speak, right? Uh, because there are certain practices that need to be implemented. And again, they just want to invest in some Bitcoins and maybe a few alts and throw them on a treasure and not necessarily have to defend against the Chinese and the North Koreans and every script kitty in North America. Yeah, I agree with that. Hold on. It's uh, like, I want to say that I agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said. And I don't know what I said that made you think you were disagreeing <laughs> with me. But um, like, I, I, I think the crypto space has brought to light a lot of the things in the info security, like infosec space. Because the fact that you have uh, like self-sovereign digital money means that you've increased a lot of the like, uh, like, incentive for people to attack people individually and so like it 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 forces you to have good self uh like personal security practices because you now have a reason to have them as opposed to like your password to your facebook which which people didn't realize was valuable but like it's it's obvious there's value now because it is money as opposed to like you know it like intrinsic value yep and Facebook is training people slowly too. They're going to have their token, their, their currency that comes out soon enough. And Facebook has been training people on security slowly but surely. And once they have this token, that is going to really get a leg up on the remittances market if they can let it go. Then we'll see how that goes. They already have money operating licenses all over the place. So Facebook is primed and ready. There's no so way to I make I wanted to point out something about the Bluehost thing, by the way. I forgot to bring this up. And that is the other thing that we're kind of learning lately is that you as a consumer and as a, as a podcast host need to protect all of your credentials, not just your crypto credentials. Because if somebody hijacks your Twitter account, they could very easily send DMs to your friends saying, hey, I'm in jail, send crypto to this I know, address right I know now. A few people that's happened Or too. whatever. So every single site that you use you need to be put multi-factor on every single one. And if it doesn't support yeah. multi-factor, you need to fire them because that, that that's a dead giveaway that they don't take security very seriously. And that applies to social media, a web hosting, you know, just about everything. And it doesn't solve everything. Multi-factor will only eliminate 99% of, uh, of the, of the unsophisticated attacks, but that sure helps. I mean, that really eliminates the, uh, the, the threat vectors for you. Yeah, there's this concept, and and um, I, I think generally in security is that like you're not hack proof. Uh, what you're doing is you're making it more annoying for a for a, for an attacker to come at you. And generally speaking, attackers, unless state level, will give up on hard targets and go after other targets that are not hard. So like just by making yourself annoying, you're mitigating yourself from people who, who unless you have an incredible incentive to get past that annoyance to continue coming after you and i, I think that's what it was too as, as the host of a bitcoin podcast people are going to assume i have a shitload of crypto and it makes <laughs> me a target however you know i didn't have some mickey mouse password and i, I just think you know there's no way to make a, a modern computer 100 secure you have to just mitigate the risk security is relative just like Corey said you have to be lucky every time. The person attacking has to be lucky once. You can do nearly everything right, and you still get fucked up. And most people don't even try to do it right. Security is not a management priority. If it was, we wouldn't have the constant leaks of personally identifiable, identif- 
falsifiable information from these major companies with the resources to be better. I mean, there's links, there's leaks every week from these major corporations. It just makes things better. I think it's it's good to a certain extent. I think I, I think my security practice I learned at university though, because at most universities now you have to change your main university password, like like a lot. Like every eight weeks you have to change it, and it has to be super complex, and you can't use one that you've used before. And so yeah, that's actually outdated. NIST doesn't recommend that anymore. Um, it doesn't. Uh, and again, this is part of the confusion: is that ch- standards change, just like whether eggs are healthy for you or not. But <laughs> NIST, which is the the kind of the authority on this, does not recommend forcing users to change their passwords because they tend to do shit to get around it, like just put a number at the end, right? Yeah. Or overly complex passwords because people tend to, if I tell you your password has to be sixteen characters and include numbers and a special character. It, is, it makes you more likely to reuse that thing. So once you actually get it memorized, the end user is like, well, screw it. I'm going to use that on everything because it's hard to remember, right? So unfortunately, the real security advice for 2019, the best security advice is to get rid of passwords completely. Go get yourself a YubiKey or better yet, get two YubiKeys and then use a password manager on everything. The YubiKey will be your master override, so to speak, for setting up new ones. And then let your password managers run on your mobile device. Every single thing dependent on that one because humans just aren't good at passwords. We just aren't good at generating them. We just aren't good at remembering them. We aren't good about enforcing rules around them. Let the computer do the heavy lifting so that you can do the smart lifting. All right. So much like the um, seed phrase being the most important thing that handles all of your private keys and the proper storage of that, what is the master password advice for the LastPass, right? If LastPass becomes the arbiter of all of your passwords, you need a password to get into it as well as a YubiKey. Um, First name, last name, birth year. (laughs) (laughs) Exclamation point. I'm going to say the name of your podcast and the year of your birth. I'm sure those are probably not not what I said. So on on the password managers that you set up with multi-factor hardware tokens, right, uh, the creation and the gatekeeping to that aspect is such that you you, you have to use the hardware token too, right? Um, If you're on your laptop or whatever else, if you've got an NFC device, uh, it will require that. But you're right. There still has to be a master, master override password. And actually, what I would recommend you do is take your very favorite song, okay, and write the entire lyrics to the song wrong with one word different, okay? And because that will break, that will beat most modern supercomputing systems using rainbow tables and everything else, okay? And you're just going to say, but Ray, I can't type in the entire words to Hotel California and then the word muffin at the end, right? Well, you don't have to do it that often. It only comes up, you know, whenever you have the master override without the multi-factor token. Mm. That is security for that ass. That's that's gonna be on a shirt. That we're <laughs> that's, is that the name of this episode? That's the name of this episode. Security for that. Well, Somewhere right now, someone is trying to type in uh, that, that lyrics in the word muffin into one of my uh, into yeah. one of my firewalls. I can already tell. <laughs> Get them. <laughs> um, well. There's been some other news in crypto. I mean, security is always going to be paramount, and obviously it's moving to a point where we need to keep that on the forefront of people's minds as they get into crypto. Uh, but what about if this is the end of the year show? What if what what about this year? Uh, let's do a little bit of recapping, right? I think we touched on it last last episode, but this is the official New Year show. Um, is there anything that excited you guys um, that happened this year? that you know you you'd like to talk about or are you just looking forward to getting into 2019 are you, you well i think the biggest one the non-security for me related is the implosion of the 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 myth around icos right a, a year ago right now any jackass in the world could could come up with an idea on a napkin throw out a token and probably raise a couple million dollars right uh, mm-hmm. i think those days are gone at least until they come back <laughs> that's the biggest thing whatever I the next thing is security security tokens become that but like at least there's regulation around like well supposedly better regulation around that type of thing so that this like irrational exuberance and get rich quick schemes probably won't be a part of whatever happens next yeah i, I hate how that works so they're like hey you people that aren't rich can't lose their money 
Only rich people can lose their money. How dare you invest in a thing? You've got to be rich to have the opportunity to lose your money. And that's what accredited investing <laughs> means. It's like, well, wait a second, man. If I'm broken, I want to put some pennies towards something. Then I should have the right. I should have the right to do that because if I'm not gonna put those pennies towards something, I'm gonna go buy a Big Mac or some shit. Like it's it's, it's going down the to- toilet either way. I might as well get an opportunity to make some money on my money. But that's not the way the world works, everybody. You got to be rich to lose money. So um, that's where the secure. That's where tokenization is going into these, you know, security tokens where you got to be an accredited investor or or yada 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 to. Uh, get a hold of new tokens but i guess that's better i don't know that's something also filecoin who had like the largest ico just cashed out for almost pennies on the dollar mm. now now was that an exit scam michelle was that were they exit scamming or i don't think that's an exit scam it's just it's just what, what is that the word capitulation like it's sustaining like it's just so guaranteeing a runway how do we know the difference between an exit scam and people just running out of money Right. If you rent a boat and give away Aston Martins, is that is that is that normal or like how would we tell the difference between those two? I don't I think mean, the whole story's out on Filecoin and the reasoning behind them selling. We only know they sold because we watched them deplete the multi sig. Um, there might be more. I haven't looked too far into it, but I, there, we don't know the whole story around the reasoning because they haven't said anything about it, which is a problem that I have. Um, we should be telling investors um, the reasoning behind so much movement of your funds that people have invested in. And there's such a small number of employees they that work the there too. Saft, right? They were like, they were the initiator of the SAFT. Were they not? Um, I don't think they were. Mm-mm. Well, they definitely they they did were. one. I thought that was Bancor. But they also spent a lot of time, um, like they did in credit investors only. They gave a tremendous amount to, um, of like 90% discount to uh, who was it? Uh, forgot who, but like some some famous person. And then they went after like highly rich people. Uh, and I and I, in my opinion, there's there's some regulatory issues here, or some type of thing that they're trying to do to just stay afloat. And the process of staying afloat so that they continue the process was selling all of their all of their ether. I don't know. I, could, I think and we'll there, learn more. no updates from them. No, that's the thing. There's that's no the problem in six that months. And that may be because they're under investigation because I know they got hit by subpoenas pretty hard. Um, because probably of that initial investment strategy or like the initial like their, their, their marketing strategy of going after rich people and accredited investors because those are the types of people that tend to get listened to. <laughs> right. You think it's an exit scam? The, divvy up 20 million between 14 shitty employees and then they're out? No, what I was going to say about the, what Dr. Petty just said was is the fact that you, if you only open yourself up to accredited investors, every one of your investors has a lawyer, right? When you, when you ICO to the entire world, what you're guaranteeing is one, mom and pops are going to buy Bitcoins on their way in and on their way out, right? If, assuming that they exit, right? So it always will prop up the Bitcoin price as the gateway for in and out. But, and secondly, you could, you could do a really widespread ICO without the level of scrutiny that you would have if you have 10 millionaires backing you, right? So that's sort of the, the the difference there. But I don't think we should go to the accredited investor only model at all uh, for those ICOs. And I do think that the Filecoin will be one to watch because the courts are not really used to this. Uh, the SEC and the CFTC are not really equipped to handle this. And they've both been on hiring freezes for 22 months now. So it's not like they have a whole bunch of new yeah. young talent coming in from the crypto space, right? And I don't, I, I would challenge you to find more than uh, five judges in the United States that would even understand the concept of blockchain. So it will be fascinating to see how these are resolved in the courts, if they even are. They may not be. They may just settle them out because they realize we can't do anything about it, but. And as, term, it's, it's, as far as like the project itself on IPFS, they, like, sorry, with Filecoin, they made IPFS and that's one of the most widely used uh, like projects that isn't blockchain really, but decentralization technology uh, in the, in the whole space. And then so like it's it's not like they're 
an exit scam, in my opinion. I think they're trying to survive. Like I, I have a lot of credit to the way IPFS works and its and its its ability to stay in production as a system for so long. This is uh, Filecoin was just a way to try and incentivize people running IPFS nodes because right now there isn't one. I'm, I'm curious there, to see how this Is there ever going to be an effective way to incentivize people to run nodes? Like, I don't know. We're trying to figure out ways and status. Like, no one's done it properly yet. The question is, is about staking. Are you asking about staking? No. Just no. Like, just not any, any type of token mechanic to incentivize people to run the node that runs the network or, like, validates the network or, or facilitates the network in passing messages or, like, I think storage maybe does a good job. Like with any type of networking, there's incentives to run the nodes. I mean, that takes it all the way to the internet, right? You got these ISPs. I don't know what kind of incentives they get from governments or where they, how they make their money, but they've got a, a, a way to set up this infrastructure for people to go out to Best Buy and buy a router and be hooked up to all the fun internet juice that they want. You know, like there's incentives for people to run nodes on a network. You know, what are the incentives for people to run nodes on the Bitcoin network? There isn't one right now. It's like you do it out of the kindness of your soul. Unless you need it for some service that you're using. Yeah. Well, what's crazy is if we go to the BitTorrent paradigm, which I know that you guys aren't real crazy about that metaphor, but in the BitTorrent paradigm, they ended up with private trackers where people got ratio points for what they seeded versus what they took. That kind of became the incentive economy around BitTorrent. Yeah, you couldn't contribute unless you like you couldn't use the network unless you contributed to it. Hmm. A full node means nothing if you download compromised software. Say what now? There's no incentive to have a full node. Running your own node is unnecessary because the whole argument for having a huge blockchain would be it's impossible for the average user to sync or have a low enough latency to actually work. So even I think Roger Ver was pushing that narrative too that People don't want to run their own nodes anymore. It's unnecessary. Well, it depends. Like if you have a nice hierarchy of nodes, and what I mean by hierarchy of nodes is that um, you have like full validators, which are usually like as of right now the miners, and you have some type of light client that only maybe validates headers, and you have people who depend on those things depending on what your use case is. It's like depending on what your use case is and why you're using the network should should inform how much you're willing to put forth in running infrastructure. Like miners have to because they need it. Certain businesses have to run a full node because they need access. They need certain types of access to the blockchain. Uh, if I'm buying coffee, I don't need to be running a full node on my phone. It, it, and it's a matter of trust. And that then it's just a, it's a trade-off between how much you're, you want to trust other people. So if you don't want to trust anyone, cool, run a full node. You don't have to. But like you don't have to force everyone to do the maximum amount. I, I don't think, depending on whatever you're doing. It's just, it's it's having options. It's always having options. Is that related to, like, if I download a core wallet and I just delete the DAT file, is, is that, like, does that boost my security? Is that related? You deleted your wallet if you do that. Well, I heard that it's, that's not true. You're burning coins, right? You're, you're talking about burning coins, which helps us all, but not doesn't help you. <laughs> yeah, you just deleted your money if you did. Yeah, like if you delete the blockchain, yeah. you can run you can run some of these clients in like light mode, which basically only validates headers and doesn't download um, the block. Or like it only validate, or maybe you're only validating the, the UTXOs that you care about, so you request those those parts of the blockchain. There's other, there's, there's a lot of cool things you can do, cryptographically speaking, and playing with like with innovations that have happened in the blockchain, but like if you think about Ethereum, like uh, the the default Ethereum node does not download the entire blockchain. It, there's there's checkpointing associated with it, and it's hard to run a full a full validating like fully validating node. So then, does the history repeat? And instead of internet service providers, we have blockchain service providers. Well, is that is that hand over foot? how decentralized is that compared to centralized infrastructure? Like, is it? It, do we fail because we're not fully ridiculously centralized, but only like, you know, ten times better than previous? I don't think so. If I yeah, the blockchain and the service guys have not figured out a real good way to monetize, but that doesn't mean IBM isn't filing patents and buying domain names like crazy that are out there. The problem about the centralization argument, though, guys, 
is that even though we love to tout how decentralized the global public internet is, the fact of the matter is, is that Amazon Web Services basically carries about half of your traffic, right? Oh, yeah. At least in North America, right? If Amazon were suddenly malicious or suddenly Russian agents or something, they could really wreak havoc on this indestructible internet that we know of because half the sites are on them. And about four companies run the actual like fibers that carry those messages around. As we saw this week with the CenturyLink outages that affected E911 services uh, all over North America, a perfect example of that, even though they had a ton of redundancy between carriers if you don't necessarily, you never necessarily know that in your, until you actually, until you actually see issues and outages. So what it's coming to is it seems like is things don't need to be decentralized. They just need to be perceived as decentralized. I disagree. Okay. You can't hey, have man, that. That makes that the world go round though, man. The perception of the perception is reality. I mean, maybe it's wet. That's worked that way care. because people have always been ignorant and people are not so ignorant these days. Like people are wisening up to things like I, I let's talk about this whole year and the amount of public awareness of how much value and information and manipulation these large companies are taking over your own personal data, like decentralized companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, so on and so forth. Like, I say before last year the public awareness of how much value and information they hold and then take advantage of for the free services, quote unquote, free services you use from them was not really like that, that broadly known. Now people are very, very, very much aware of like how much of your personal self you give to these companies and how much money they make from it. People are aware of how much, how Google makes money now. Previously, they were like, I love Google. Google's the best. And that was the end of it. People, and people are dropping Facebook like crazy because of the ridiculous amount of money they make by like harvesting and hoarding and, and selling your data. Like yeah. that's uh, people become aware of these things. That the, the sentiment of it changes based on the things that come out and and happen and, and like data breaches and so on and so forth, which then has much more demands from the users who are using these services. But it's a constant battle. I feel like there's always. There's always people that just don't give a shit. And I think there's more people like, for instance, my whole family wanted to get those Facebook video calling device things. And I was like, <laughs> no, no. And they were like, why are you so against this? Oh, you're such a nerd. And I was like, we don't want that. Trust me, that's not something that we want. And they were like, yeah, but you don't have to hold your phone up to your head anymore. And that's worth it. And I was like, oh, my God, it's not. It's just not worth it. I mean, we can't. We can't argue too much. We're using Google Meet right now. Yeah, that's true. But we trust Google servers, right? I just want to give any more money to <laughs> Facebook. Why will Facebook uh, just die? Well, I'll tell you what. It's Facebook's best interest to have a ton of users leave because if they don't, they're going to get broken up or regulated. I mean, this leaking of deleted messages in the infosec world—that is considered a high-value target because the types of messages that people delete are typically the ones that you would most want to see, right? And the fact that Facebook was leaking those those deleted messages via APIs to multiple parties without logging who got them, that's not good, right? And from even from a government standpoint, that's not good. That's that's particularly bad. And Zuckerberg had told us on January of last year that he was going to fix the privacy issues, right? And all we have seen in the last 12 months has been it just keeps getting worse. Is and that worse illegal? Worse. Are there privacy yeah. laws catching up to the cyber stuff? Oh, they're going to get hammered on GDPR. In North America, we don't have the equivalent of a GDPR yet. But uh, after the the slap on the hand that Equifax got, and after a lot of the concerns around Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and a lot of this other stuff that is now in the public at large, I would yeah. be shocked if we didn't see some data regulations with punishments finally passed. All right, so before we, before we continue on this, but we're running out of time a little bit. I wanted to uh, – so we have this new feature on the on the website that allows you to record yourself asking a question or saying something, and then we're going to play it on air and then answer it. And we have such a recording, so I wanted to play that um, now, and then we can talk about it afterwards. Y'all cool with that? I'm down. Yeah. All right, turn this up a little bit. Hey guys, uh, I wanted to ask you a quick question about the jobs market in the crypto industry. 
Um, so right now I don't have a lot of money to invest in uh, crypto, uh, but what I do have is time. And so I'm trying to develop my skills uh, to be able to uh, be useful in this industry. And I think that's gonna be very valuable over the next 10, 20 years. Um, so I wanted to ask you what kind of advice do you have uh, to develop those skills, uh, how to get um, your foot in the door in this industry. Um, I know I've been developing skills in Solidity and I've been doing Gitcoin issues. Um, and I just wanted to see what you guys were thinking about that. And how do you balance sort of the uh, long-term um, benefits of that versus the short-term like bear market that we're going through uh, and somebody like Consensus uh, laying off some jobs um, those um, sort of short-term uh, restrictions definitely limit what what uh, I as a job seeker can can get and I just want to see what you guys are thinking on that okay thanks love the show see you guys later cool. all right well, first thanks to the no-name man yeah, he's, no he's registered as guest so if you upload something <laughs> I want to make like a username Thank or like you say your name in the recording to, uh, to record that and send it in thank you for um, doing that that's awesome it looks like um he's a his developer um so that's a good starting point because this space that needs needs developers like it's going out of style um to answer this question the job market i mean it's kind of tough there's the websites where it, they show you who they're looking for like coindesk and cointelegraph now have a uh what, what's it called like a jobs postings Job job postings. I wouldn't use that though, because that that's a bit, look. I I use these sites, so on that front, I would say use crypto.jobs because they update it in real time, and they the employers actually pay to get five applicants, and once they get five applicants, they have to pay more. So they value the people that apply. It's not just a link farm or a resume farm. And then there's also cryptojoblists.com. Those are the two best ones that you can use. Um, there you go. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. There. You can continue. No, no, no. Just... You're, you're much better. That you, you actually use these sites. Yeah. Like I've never. That's useful. Yeah, I've never gone and and looked for a crypto job without trying to get my soft skills on. Mm. That's what I was gonna say. I'd say more, more generally speaking, like that, that's like good actionable advice for someone who's looking for jobs uh, based on whatever skill set they have, right? Um, mm. My advice typically is a lot more general in terms of um, try and. I keep telling people, invest in yourself in the space, and that means that learn as much as you possibly can about how things work like at a fundamental level. Uh, have experience actually trying to build stuff or interacting with the technology and applying whatever your domain knowledge is. Like, say you've been using Gitcoin, so you're, you're interacting with these, these, these networks and figuring out how they work. Um, because like, we don't know what it's going to look like later on down the line, like what technology is going to win how it works, what it's called, but we do know, and I, I have, I have very strong opinions on this, that like this technology will, in some way, shape, or form, be a part of our future. It'll, it's going to be a part of how we interact with the web and exchange value over the internet. It may not be called blockchain. It's going to definitely involve cryptography and public and private cryptography, and, and using that to like personally store value and so on and so forth. So. By you learning how that stuff works, playing with it, interacting with people who understand it, applying whatever your specific domain knowledge is to it to build something that's unique, gains your experience and, and, and awareness of how things work later on down the line when it is established. So you can make better choices on where to find a job, um, what hole may be missing in the space. Like The more you learn, the more you see like where something um, should exist that doesn't. And you do that by being very cross-disciplinary. So like trying trying to learn as much as you can about everything. And the next thing that I would say that's very, very important is establishing a network of people who are also doing the same thing. Join communities and talk to people and ask questions as much as you can because regardless of whatever ends up happening or whatever works, these people will be a part of this, this community and network with different types of domain knowledge that'll be useful to you if you build a network. And so when you have an issue, if you've built the network appropriately, you can ask the person who may be the domain expert, subject matter expert of that thing, if you join communities and talk to people. And just having that ability to reach out to people is incredibly useful and will be very valuable later on down the line. Now, 
that's all well and good um, if if you don't need a job to make money. And I don't have very good advice if you're trying, if you're struggling to make money to survive uh, and, and feed yourself and your kids and, and pay your bills. Because in a bear market like this, it gets really difficult, especially if you don't have a job and people are getting fired, like consensus and so on and so forth. And I, it's, it's use whatever spare time you have. It will pay off. But number one priority is make sure that you've like, you can, you can feed yourself and your family and pay your bills. And that's where you use your domain knowledge of whatever it is, if it's not crypto, to try and find a job, even if it's outside of crypto. Just like don't, don't, in my opinion, try and throw yourself into this in a specific field and, and make sure and, and, and bet that it has to work in order for you to just survive. Mm-hmm. Survive first. Secure your secure yourself monetarily so that you can you can live and then spend whatever extra time you have not like watching Netflix all day but trying to learn as much as you can about the space because that will be useful. And I just wanted to add something real quick. Beware who you work for in the space because a lot of people got rich off the last bull run and they've taken that money and they started businesses and they don't know how to run businesses. I've worked for several people in the crypto space who had no idea what they were doing and they even admitted it. Um, so be careful, even though you are in the space and you have the skills to work in the space, uh, please do not accept just the first job offer that comes your way just so you can get your foot in the door and be in the space. Um, if someone like Joe Lubin, who is the godfather of crypto and he can miscalculate how to run a business and lay off a large portion of his company, imagine working for someone who's, you know, came from old money and like Ray said, had a napkin idea at a bar, started an ICO, has a lot of money, and is looking for a Solidity developer, and you apply and you work there. Now you're attached yourself to an unreputable company and you're working for someone who doesn't know what they're doing. That's just going to harm your career. So I know you're eager and excited and anxious to get in the space, but you know maybe slow down a little bit and wait for the space to catch up to the general job market and how that operates. And on, in order to evaluate that type of thing, working for those people, the more you know, and the more you understand about how things work, the better you're able to evaluate who you're working for and whether or not they're capable of making good decisions based on how stuff works, which would inform you on whether or not you should stay there, take a job, leave it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you guys have given some amazing advice. If, if every single person who clicks for ask for advice on the website gets advice like this, I think you're going to get a lot of people asking for it. Um, the only thing I could add to, to kind of what you've already said is the two things that I would say are free, okay, that don't cost you any money, are uh, following very closely uh, both uh, blockchain and distributed ledger technology news. So a good way to tell if you're following the news close enough is when you listen to just the headers. If you've already heard 50% of the stories, you're doing okay. <laughs> if yeah, you've already heard all of, of them, time, you're doing man. really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can use technologies like RSS or Slack to kind of get the consolidated most important um, versions. Yeah. And then I would say, you know, I've had really, really good luck and I can't recommend strongly enough going to your local B-sides. That's B-S-I-D-E-S conferences. Those are security conferences, but they usually cover a lot of blockchain stuff. And they're usually either free or really, really, really cheap. And those are in, I think it's like 67 cities all over the world. Uh, so that's another way to meet people and to kind of talk about your interests uh, outside mm-hmm. of your work. It's part of that, like to, uh, going to communities and talking to people. Yep. Keeping up with the news, we actually have a channel in our Slack, which you can join at, but it uh, has the news aggregated and it'll, it'll, every scene, every time one of the major companies releases a piece of news, it gets put into that channel so you can see it happen. Um, yeah. So that's there for you as well. Um, I don't know. Corey, Cello, you guys, Cello, you hit it with actionable stuff. Go to those websites that he mentioned. Cello, mention them one more time. Uh, crypto.jobs and cryptojoblists.com. Uh, Lubin incorrectly stated that LinkedIn jobs are in the blockchain space are up 20%. That, that's propaganda and lies. Don't, it's not. <laughs> just, just go there. There you go. Um, I have no advice that they, you guys have already given great advice. Um, my advice is just like more hang in there. There you go. Hoorah, hoorah. Man. Join the Slack. Talk to us. Yeah. Join the Slack. 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hook you up with a job. I can't do that. So unless you want to work for us for free, so then we'll, <laughs> then we'll have a different conversation. <laughs> but uh, there's that. Um, I guess we're gonna wrap things up now. It's been a long episode, a good episode. I really like these kind of more than having like having the stress of having to get a guest on. Um, Play we'll it by ear. Let's see how this. Let's see how this year goes. Play it by ear. Maybe maybe that every episode yeah. needs to be an interview episode. Did everyone just so, witness a format change? Did that just happen? So, I don't know. I think we're it's slowly organically changing. <laughs> like we organically. It's a new year, baby. New year, new us. New year, new me. Uh, no. Uh, so we've organically changed over the years, and one of the changes I think that we're making, but now we'll probably say it's more of like a communal podcast. I don't. I don't think a lot of podcasts. Uh, are doing this like we're doing it and trying to open up as many uh, avenues as we can for you guys to communicate with us and vice versa and us to bring that to the show. So if you if a lot of shows are doing that already, then I'm sorry, I'm biting your style, but I haven't heard many. So uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing because we all act like armchair experts and it's kind of good to bring people in and share their thoughts. And- yeah, I saw that tweet that you retweeted this week, Joe. I was like, what, Mommy, what's podcasting? Oh, it's a show where three guys sit yeah. around and, and love their opinions a lot. Yeah. I was like, damn. Damn it, they got us. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we want to hear more of you guys' opinions and more of your voices. I know some of you listen to us in the car and you can't really call in and things of that nature, but if you if you can catch, you can call in or you can go to the website and go to the record tab and you can record a little snippet and then upload that to our site and we uh, will play it on air just like we did even if you want to call in and say that Corey guy's a fuck face don't know shit about automation i would love that we will, let's talk about that <laughs> we will play that on the show too um yeah so happy 2018 we're going into 2019 so happy new year there as well uh thanks for listening for does the- ray have anything to plug yeah ray you got anything to plug you know, I, the only thing I even possibly can plug is I know we have a lot of Ronnie Moaz subscribers who have uh, started subscribing <laughs> to this podcast now. I just want to give a shout out to the Arbitrate Unofficial channel guys because uh, uh, they've all told me that they're going to stick with your podcast but not stick with Ronnie Moaz. Nice. Yay. Nice. Right. Hitting them with the hard questions like, are you yeah. sure you paid attention? Yep. And to those new followers, <laughs> go fuck yourself. No kidding. Uh, <laughs> oh, we have remixes. Where are those remixes? Oh, shit, we forgot to play it. Yeah, I'll Maybe see if I can find one, uh, if they're still on the slide. Um, so wrapping it up, uh, you you can go to thebitcoinpodcast.com and see everything we have to offer there. Um, all kinds of shows. Shows on shows on shows. Uh, just the Headers just dropped. Just the Headers did just drop. And like Ray said, if you know 50% of those articles, then you're doing a good job keeping up um, because that is a very, very small percentage of the total articles that come out on this space. I got a remix. Um, I got a remix. So this is a this is a user submitted remix that was in our Slack. Are we gonna play that right now? Fuck yeah! Yeah. Oh shit! Remix coming at up. you live. The Bitcoin Podcast remix. <laughs> Okay, that's enough of that. I got a new challenge for our listeners. Can someone take the rave scene from Blade 2 and put that in there? And I want to see a clip of that. Why Blade 2? That's your favorite rave scene of all the Blades? Oh, there, there have been rave scenes in every Blade, right? I think there are. All right, a Blade rave scene. Your Blade, choice. A Blade rave scene. Okay. I think there's other I would like to I request... I would like to request the Matrix. Uh, oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a good is, one. Zion, the Zion party. Yeah, the Zion party. That's and a good one. There we go. So if you if you guys are going to talk about the Ronnie Moaz remix in this epilogue, and that's the portion I guess we're in now. I, I do I do want to mention that there was a lot of crazy stuff that happened with him on Twitter this week. But the funniest thing of all was when he was basically trying to to build up his own credibility. He tweeted, I've been on hundreds and hundreds of interviews, and he screenshotted all the interviews he was on, and the Bitcoin podcast was one of them. So yeah. I don't know if Well done, Ronnie. What? to brag about that one. There's another, that another quality, quality explanation yeah. of, the, of the amount of due diligence he does when he does things. <laughs>
I kind of want to get sued now so we can like bring that up in court and the judge is like what the fuck is wrong with you okay who is this guy (laughs) (laughs) well um yeah the bitcoinpodcast.com the bitcoin podcast network uh, I'd also like to do a little plug for Crypto Cousins. I was just uh, just to record with Crypto Cousins. That'll be coming out soon. You'll hear me guest hosting that show. Uh, we have a book. If you go on Amazon and you type in Describe Bitcoin, you'll find our book. Um, there's a link to the book somewhere on the side, I hope. Um, we don't do a good job of plugging that book, honestly. There's better ways. But go to Amazon, Amazon and type Describe Bitcoin and you will find it. That's so complicated for someone is it? to do. Is it? is it? I mean, I feel you like you search it. things Should on I... Amazon. Who can't do that? Yeah. We need... I can't. I can't Pop spell it. out the Amazon link backslash w question mark ml equals <laughs> like no. It's the easiest <laughs> way to do it. We need a button or something on the site. That's yeah, there like, should hey, be a buy book button on the site. Let's just uh, we'll, we'll make that. That'll be that'll I'll be up it. soon. There we go. That's, um, it's called Describe Bitcoin in 10 Words or Less because typically we have a guest and we ask the guest to describe Bitcoin, blockchain, or Ethereum in 10 Words or Less and they try. Most fail, but, you know, whatever. Um, you can go catch that book. Uh, is there anything else I'm missing? Corey, you had a blog. Happy New Year. You had a blog. Uh, I just recently put out an article about managing your private keys and what that means. It teaches you a little bit about asymmetric cryptography or otherwise known as public private key cryptography and how Bitcoin and other crypto systems use it, and then um, types of questions you should be asking yourself based on um, how you're storing value, because you need that information to make better decisions. So it's just a, maybe like a 10-minute read that'll really, really help you get uh, better up-to-date on how to more properly store your crypto and how to make good decisions around that. There you go. Oh, um, and la- last thing is uh, there's donation links in the show notes, and we never plug that. Um, if you've if we've shed some light and saved you money from uh, giving Ronnie and Moaz your 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 newsletter money, how about you you give us some of that money? Or uh, <laughs> if if there's some valuable you- stuff we've told you um, and it's benefited your life, show us a little love. And that's please. a donation. That is not for any services. Yeah. No. Oh, damn. There's you will some... get nothing back in you return can... other yeah. than our standard feed of shit that we do. To the uh, subscribers that joined us last week through YouTube, thank you. And tell your friends. And if you're listening via YouTube and you're like, whoa, this podcast is great. I like this shit. Hit the subscribe button. And then there you go. It'll be in your life more frequently. Oh, and leave man. us a review on iTunes and we might read it on the show. Leave a review of the book on Amazon, and I'll read it on the show. Instagram. There's so many things to do nowadays. Too much. That's just, why I said, just hang out wanna, and listen. Join the Slack. We're done. If you want to work for us for free, <laughs> please. We'd love it. <laughs> All right, guys. That's it. I'm tired of talking about stuff. That's it. Podcast is over. Uh, shout out to Zoe Saldana and Zazie Beats and Carla Lewis. Play. Yeah, I was right.